Magic Mike Show. Where you hear the experts speak. The Magic Mike Show. Tune into the show every week. The Magic Mike Show. You can trust the show is the bomb because it's being brought to you by RacingDudes.com. What's up, everybody? I'm Magic. And I'm Mike. And this is the Magic Mike Show, episode 525. Mr. Samich. I mean, we're going back to it. Pegasus, huzzah! What a good day of Woo! racing, man. What a good weekend of racing. Yeah, Shadi said it perfectly in the chat. What a weekend. It was uh, uh, lots of, you know, lots of hits, lots of strong opinions that paid off, a few that didn't, and a couple misses that uh, kept us from having a superbly awesome weekend financially. But still, it was, it was a great a great weekend in terms of you got to see tons of stars show up for uh, a, a huge day at Gulfstream Park. And that's kind of like the precursor to this coming weekend when we've got four Kentucky Derby prep races. I don't know how many stars we're going to see so much in those races, but I know of one. But Pegasus World Cup uh, Day at Gulfstream Park, just a fantastic job overall, I thought. It really was. And we were talking a little bit, a bit about this before we came on air. The field sizes were just phenomenal. Across the board in every race, you're, you're looking at, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 horses. And it means that, you know, you're going to get inflated prices on a couple horses. We're going to talk about one of those in the, the Pegasus World Cup turf. Um, and you're also going to get inflated payouts in multi-race sequences where, you know, favorite, favorite, short price. I think it was actually favorite, favorite, favorite. Pays 50 to 1 because you have 12, 13, or 11, 12 horses in these races and you don't have a, a you know three to five shot that's that's in these spots and so it's often missed that like these big days we don't generally see fields like this and to have a full card of full fields and to be able to get the prices because of that it just makes it phenomenal i mean one eight to one completely shakes things up because that horse is is much less used in a lot of the pickaxes and you'd never get eight to one on certain horses i mean like olivia darling going off at seven to one you're never getting her at seven to one in most spots where it's a five or six or seven horse field, which is generally what she's been running in. But because you have 10 in that race, you get an inflated price on her. She gets underused in pick X's and like the pick three that that was in that middle there that I think it was the middle of our pick five that we covered pays astronomical. And it really shouldn't. I, I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's Olivia Darling into Tumbo Rumba, which are prices into Warm Heart. And it was paying 100 plus dollars. Yeah, crazy. The payouts were great if you got to be on the correct side of those. And if you played Mike and I's pick five tickets from last show, you could turn to profit. You actually turned to profit going four of five because uh, we had pressed our opinions in a certain way uh, that it all kind of came out with a nice little prop, which I, one of the very few things that I, not few things, but one of the things that I do like about playing Gulfstream is that they do pay four of five. So if you, you know, you swing and you miss in a Hijazi race, well, guess what? If you got the other ones right, you're still got a chance to come out on top there. So hopefully you played our tickets, uh, either one of our tickets that turned a slight profit. And if you did the Frankenstein ticket, you absolutely hit that thing. The pick five paid just over $2,000. And again, you had favorite, uh, morning line favorite, long shot, off favorite, and another long shot they got the way. So and that, logical long shots at both. We both made strong cases for those uh, long shots in there, like Olivia Darling and Tumbarumba, which we'll talk about in a second. But uh, a big day of racing, a big card. We're going to go through the highlights. Let's get into it, buddy. Right is up. Of course, we're going to start with the biggest race of the day, the weekend, the biggest buyer earned all weekend long. National Treasure wins the Pegasus World Cup, gets a 105 buyer. And boy, that was a, an exciting race as long as you weren't just completely focused on first mission because boy, that was a bad effort from him. Uh, but National Treasure proves he could actually sit off of the pace just a little bit and have just enough left to get the job done. Senior Buscador almost caught, uh, caught him. And if you're watching the live stream with Aaron and Nick and I, or if you, you saw the replay of it, we really tried to get him home. It didn't happen, but what was your take watching this race, Mike? Uh, this was the race I didn't think National Treasure could run. It, it was pretty, like, it, everything else on the handicap, well, outside of the fact that my horses ran, like, second to last, third to last, and fourth to last, not great there, because uh, it was nice. We were we were alive to anything. It was 2,000 to 7,000 on the pick five. It was 72 bucks on the show, so I had four shots of cash in this puppy. Didn't use National Treasure, um, and mainly because I didn't think National Treasure could stalk and win. 
And this was the first time in his career we've seen him sit off the pace and run the race you'd expect him to run. And I, I thought this was just, I was a phenomenal performance from National Treasure. I, I wasn't really blown away in any of his top efforts, right? If you look at the the mile, the Breeders' Cup mile, and if you look at the, the Preakness, I felt like he had a easier pace in both of those and speed favoring tracks. And that's really helped him get to the finish line. In this spot, I mean, he really held incredibly well he was able to to chase an early fast pace from hoist the gold didn't make the lead sat off him and i thought did a great job to hold off senor buscador who was absolutely charging and really had every chance to get by and, and national treasure just dug in and was able to hold him off so hat tip to national treasure uh wish i had used the chalk but i didn't um <laughs> and i honestly i didn't i didn't think he had this in him so it, it's a hell of a race from national treasure yeah, yeah, it was. And, and a hell of an effort from Senior Buscador. His issue is always going to be that he leaves himself with too much to do. He tried closing from 11th. He wasn't on screen for most of the race until they were eh, a little over halfway through, starting to enter the far turn anyway. And Alvarado said the horse was making his move. He just got a little tired because he had to go so wide at different spots. Uh, the other big disappointment here, the other thing to talk about is the big disappointment of First Mission, who was the uh, $2.80 second choice when National Treasure was two sixty, dollars And First Mission, according to Brad Cox, just really hated the kickback, the dirt being flown in his face. But this is back-to-back -back races where I really thought First Mission should have won. The Clark, you could kind of say, well, it was first time facing the older horses at the stakes level and trying out that sort of thing. I the kickback sure this was just a horrible effort he never looked comfortable on the track first mission yeah first mission sucked i mean there's really no other way <laughs> to get around it he, he was he was awful um and it, it's it's going to be a long road to horse of the year if brad cox is going to be right <laughs> about the hype that he put onto this horse because there is a lot to be desired here I, to me didn't have a bad trip didn't really have any like just just wasn't good and you know every now and then that happens We'll see if First Michigan jump back. I can guarantee you this horse will knock me out of a pick four or pick five at some point because he will get that, and I will not use him after this race. Uh, but we'll see what we'll see what happens moving forward. I, I mean, look, you go down this list. It's not the best group of older males that we've ever seen in our life, right? And and but you know, it, it's one of those spots where if you thought First Mission was going to be a great horse, he was going to have to be good, and and he wasn't even close to good here, right? So, first mission, wildly disappointing. I was kind of disappointed in Grant Aspen as well. I don't think he had a great trip, so I'm not going to go off too much on Grant Aspen. I would kind of give him a chance coming back here because the start wasn't exactly what he wanted. He was further back than he wanted. He ended up getting pulled up after having to go wide. So, like, uh, Grand Aspen, I think, is one of those you look at at possibly a price moving forward if you're going to get it. Uh, I wouldn't want to take him at too short of a price off this race. Outside of that, not really shocked by anyone here. I thought Hoist the Gold actually ran really well uh, to end up fourth and not fade off further than that. Um, but, uh, you know, everyone else kind of seemed to get eaten up by the pace that I thought had a legitimate shot. And Senor Busco was the only one who was really flying late. Uh, I will credit also Krupe for managing to take advantage of that. Now, there's three Todd Pletcher horses entered. And the Ortiz brothers are riding two of them. And if I was going to tell you, I'm like, one of the three Pletchers is going to hit the board and it's not going to be either of the Ortiz brothers doing it. Uh, Krupe, again, he, he kind of followed the Buscador path a little bit and, and took advantage of everybody just burning out from the pace or not being good enough. But Frankie Dettori had a couple of big bomb rides uh, in, in the later half of this card that he didn't win. But, man, he, he still showed. He's a world-class rider. He's still Frankie Dettori. He might not have been on the favorite as the 34-1 to 1, uh, longest shot on the board, and he got him up for third in the Pegasus World Cup. Not a, not a bad effort from that horse. I would say that is about uh, – that's the ceiling, right, for Groupie. Like, I don't think he's <laughs> ever winning, but this was a, yeah. a good job to kind of run up in there. And like you said, like, you look at where these horses were at the half-mile pole, uh, second, 11th, 12th, first. I mean, the, I think – national treasure and hoist the gold ran big races you look at like yep. their third fourth fit they all quit out of there right and it was the 11th 12th that were able to come up and that's why i thought this was such an impressive race from national treasure I, to be able to take the early heat and then be able to dig in and win I, again like you look at the, the times there you look at the splits they didn't really go fast late but national treasure did enough work early and then had enough guts to hold on late to be able to to beat them i got a question for you because we talked about this that Saudi crown, because Brett Cox now two weekends in a row got me good. Saudi crown I didn't use because I'm like, we didn't send him to the Pegasus. Why aren't we sending him to the Pegasus? And it's like, oh, because first mission's so good. Would Saudi crown have won the Pegasus? 
No. No, no he would not have. He's not... It, the races I've seen from Saudi Crown, he would have been there with Hoist the Gold and National Treasure and off the turn probably taking the lead and coughed it up. That's his MO, is when a good horse comes up and challenges him, he fights, but he he's not... His talent isn't good enough to put him there. So, yeah, no. I, he is... I guess he's the number one horse in the Cox Barn right now, but that's... That's usually a flag that you're like very proud to wave right now. People just kind of look at it and go, "Okay, this week." But after the Saudi Cup, who's going to be number one? Kind of a thing. So, so what you're saying is Brad Cox is going to win some Kentucky Grade Ones, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not a bad place to be winning Grade Ones. They've got a lot of money in those Grade Ones. Yeah, I mean, the horses just aren't as good though for older males. <laughs> just for older males. Uh, Kentucky racing will also. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no derby. Uh, uh, Skippy Longstocking, the last note I want to mention, uh, he got used hard out of the far outside 12 post and he was there for about 20 seconds, 30 seconds. And then he kind of wilted. I'll report he was, he walked off on his own power. Kind of the statement was that he overheated and that he was having trouble uh, with the humidity, but it seems like he's fine. So that is the good news uh, on that horse. Next stops. We know Senior Buscador has got invited to Saudi Cup, so he, that's going to be fun. You're going to see him, uh, you know, White of Barrio passing uh, Saudi Crown, and you're going to have Buscador just rounding that turn like 18 wide, trying to get up there to him. So I'm excited for the connections that they got invited to the Saudi Cup for Senior Buscador. Uh, should hit the board, right? Like that's a, a $20 million race. Hit the board. He became a $1.5 millionaire from this race. Like go on with your bad self. I mean, I like Senor Buscador. We've talked about this horse so much. I picked this horse in random spots. Uh, it's just a fun horse. I actually hate him for beating Slow Down Andy uh, back in the San Diego. That hurt on <laughs> Omar tournament weekend. Uh, but, like, the, look, we, we've talked about Fincher quite a bit on here, and we've talked about Senor Buscador. I'm happy for this guy. It just keeps on kind of running. He loves hitting the board, and he needs everything to go right to win. I think at this level, right? I, I think if they tried him in lower spaces, he would win a lot of races in a row if he was in the grade twos and the grade threes, things like that. He's just a cut below grade one. He's not a, a f- bad grade one horse. He's just, it's hard for him to be the best in a field. So he needs everything to break his way to be able to win. And you know what? I wouldn't mind owning Senor Buscador because it has been a very, very fun trip to have this horse. And yeah, I, I think he's got, well, I, my only issue with him hitting the board in the Saudi cup, it really against the track bias there, right? Like we've consistently seen horses who are more forwardly placed, be able to be successful when you're going overseas. So we'll see what he's able to do with that. But I, I mean, he'll be running. He'll give his effort. He does every single time. Uh, I thought Rodney asked a good question here. Is this National Treasures distance one and one eighth mile? Can he stretch out to a mile and a quarter classic distance? Is he just a dirt mile? The Preakness was a mile and a three sixteenth. So, you know, at halfway between the Pegasus and the Breeders' Cup Classic. I think, Mike, that he could... I think National Treasures can get a mile and a quarter if he went to Dubai for the World Cup because that is a super highway track. Uh, it definitely favors speed. And I think that's a place where he could catch his breath, stretch his legs, and then be able to, you know, kind of power, have that fight to sustain at their home. I don't see National Treasure winning at a mile and a quarter in the Breeders' Cup Classic unless it's a very off year. Yeah, I would agree with you, but then you look at this list. This is a $3 million race for older males, and it's like, well, all right. I mean, we'll obviously see what the three-year-olds do this year when we get to the Classic, but I generally agree with you. I think, I think National Treasure is better at a mile and an eighth or a mile, like just over it. And he can go further if the pace is right. That would be the other part of this. If there's not a lot of speed signed up and National Treasure inherits the lead in the Breeders' Cup Classic, yeah, he could win. Um, I'm not sure that that's going to happen just based on what we've seen from Classic Fields the last few years. So my other issue is, like, again, this this wasn't the best field in the world, right? Like, yeah. And, and so I'm, I'm, I don't want to overreact off this race. However, I do want to say, like, look, National Treasure was phenomenal in this race. This was, this was by far his best performance. So I, I don't want to be negative about national treasure at all because i do think he ran absolutely huge on sunday there's deserves all the credit or saturday and deserves all the credit well one person i think deserves all the credit for getting a big victory on saturday let's talk about the pegasus whoops to pegasus world cup i just hit the wrong button uh the world cup turf uh ryan moore with warm heart if you didn't see the replay of how i mean first of all an exact replica of how he almost won the breeders cup philly mayor turf with her where he waited waited sniffed the rail found it and almost got there. This time he got the job done. Uh, it, it got close at the end, but once she took the lead, I, there, I don't think anybody was going to catch her there. 
Uh, Warmheart sets a new track record beating English Channel's 17-year-old Mark uh, at, at Coldstream Park from Mile and Eighth on the turf. We both singled her with this in this sequence. This was our strongest opinion, each of us, and uh, as well as Aaron Haltman, Jared Welch. We loved this. How did we get two to one on Warmheart? <laughs> I have no idea how she was 240. Like I, that's just it's, it was the full like the full on two to one. We were we were 10 cents from five to two. That's the crazy part about this too. I mean, it was. Just a phenomenal yeah. race from Warmheart, and, and there were a lot of concerns um, around. You know, can is this the right distance for her? Does she want to be going longer? What's the pace going to look like? It's it's just wild to me that coming off of a race where she chased an Italian who's hey, little fast, just kind of fast in that race, and then almost beat in spur in spiral or in spiral or whatever the heck her name is, who is yeah. like the best horse in the world in a lot of people's opinion, and yet she was a, a dog here to integration who. Last time I was at Aqueduct, is that right? <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, like, what? <laughs> well, I, I don't know if because I know you were in Las Vegas and you had a, a big work day, so I, I don't know if you were like saw the details on this, but every single pool had integration as the favorite. It wasn't just the win yep. pool; it was the doubles, it was the pick three, the pick what? four, everything that ended in this race. Integration was the favorite, and Aaron and I were sitting here live, like scratching our head, going. Are, are we going to get burned by this? Because we had so much money riding on Warm Heart, we couldn't understand it. And then Integration, he ran okay, but to me, he looked like a three-year-old facing older horses in a grade one for the first time. And just, he took a big step up and he wasn't quite ready to get, I mean, he was a length off of third, but he never at one point, I thought, looked like a winner in that race. No, I don't think so either. I'm surprised integration was so close to the pace, especially with how hot the pace was. Um, I, I think that that actually was a negative for integration. I think integration probably would have been yep. better sitting in, in eighth or ninth um, versus being up there in you know fifth place, but only a length off the lead at a half mile point where, or I guess it was two, three lengths off the lead at the half mile point, but they went 46.86. That's fast. That's very fast. I mean, especially for for the, the distance here. So uh, I, I don't really take anything from integration. What was surprising to me, um, I, and I think it was split two and two. There were two pools where integration was the favorite, two pools where Warm Heart was the favorite, but no pool where integration was half the price of Warm Heart. And when they broke from the gate, integration at $1.20 to one, Warm Heart at two and 40 to one, exactly double the price of integration. Every pool was like, you know, the pick three, the double, I think it would paid like $54 one way and 58 the other right and the pick three paid like 65 one way and 72 the other it wasn't two to one and so the the fact that when they broke from the gate the win price was so drastically different was what surprised me because at one point it was i believe it was seven to five and eight to five or eight to five and nine to five mm -hmm. that okay I, like i i can i can buy that because that lines up a little bit more with what you're seeing in the multi-race bets and um I, I respected integration like i i was nine three cold and i was like these are the only two horses i have any interest in i'm gonna single nine because i don't think you can use both and yeah i was i was shocked that this was there was this differential of a price and, and i'm not really sure why like i i still can't go back and like i look through the form again and i'm like did i miss something on integration that i really should jump forward i watched his races back i just i don't know what caused the money to continue to pour in like it's first you're like oh okay i bet integration and integration's now seven to five and like oh all right well you know Warm heart sitting over here at two to one. Well, okay, I'll, I'll warm heart might come in, and I'll probably get you know two to one on integration. It's like no, we're gonna bet integration down from that point. That's what just that's what got me the most. Uh, another race I, I mentioned it, talking about the Pegasus World Cup. Frankie Dettori with takes the longest shot on the board, forty six to one on catnip, and, and gets up and misses second by a neck. Uh, and I thought I'm very busy in catnip. Both ran big races to do what they did. Uh, you're never going to get 46 to one on catnip again, just like you're not going to get 34 to one on croupy again. But again, Dettori with a great effort to get up there. And I want to credit Ryan Moore. Just talk about warm heart again. He talked about after the race, why he waited for the rail to open. He said he following main event, who was your leader. Uh, he said he could tell the horse kept leaning out and leaning out and leaning out. He's like, I just knew I had to wait until the horse leaned out just enough. And I could sneak right in there and do it. And he did it. And you've got to have such balls of steel as a jockey to do that. You have to have the heart of a champion to, as a horse to just 
when the jockey says, go in this little tiny ass window between a rail and a horse and just burst right through it and do what she did. So hats off to her. Uh, th this was my favorite win just because of how ex excited Aaron and I were in the uh, in the reaction. Shai says, best reaction since Way to Borrow's Breeders' Cup Classic win. We were going pretty crazy. Aaron's broken arm almost started doing cartwheels. So he was that happy. <laughs> now, the other thing, like, what do you do with these horses that ran close to Warm Heart? Like, do you think this becomes a key race? I mean, we broke English Channel's track record. Yeah. It was it was 144 and 2, and, and so this was the better 144 and 2. So very close to the track record. It was not like a blowing out the track record. But that means that second, third, and fourth, which were all within a length, essentially, of Warm Heart, all ran 144 and 3s, which are right at, like, almost that track record as well. And, and that's, I'm very busy catnip and a tone who are 14 46 and 34 to one do you do they come back as as horses you're looking to fade or horses you are looking to play off of this effort well i'm all, very they'll all be what a fifth of the price at absolute highest yeah i i you know i'm very busy that's a pletcher so you've got to watch out uh was second to integration i got completely dusted by integration in that aqueduct race but um, you did see him take a step forward. Atone was your defending champion, it's sounding like more and more like a horse for course here. <laughs> so next time he's going to be at Gulfstream, maybe take a look at him. I thought that he had a good effort. Webslinger had some traffic trouble. That's the horse that I think is, and everybody loves to play Webslinger. I think Webslinger is the horse that you. Yeah. I think I want to take out of this that was way behind, just because he was dead last. Trying to close into a track record time set by a, a stalker or a presser. And he had a bunch of traffic trouble because he was coming from last. So if you put him in a race where he's not facing a top international star, and it doesn't seem like there's a super older turf horse in America that's going to dust him, that those are the races where Webslinger can win. It's, it's when he's facing horses that are about his talent level, he's good enough to do it. I, I agree. I'm, in, I'm interested in Web Slinger. I'm interested in integration out of this race. I'm also a little interested in King Mac. Uh, yeah, King Mac. So I thought got a, a little bit rough of a trip uh, mm -hmm. through here. So it'll be interesting to see what all three of them are able to do and what prices you're getting on them next time out. Last question for you. Are you a little surprised by the buyer? Of a 100 buyer for a track record? I, I, I thought it'd be a little higher. Tone <laughs> got a 103 for winning this race last year. Oh, yeah, I, I do think it should be higher, but also, yeah, but, but you also have a new track record, and it only got a 100 buyer, so the yeah, speed figures are wacky. I have not looked at what the track record is and what the other turf races and graded stakes ran, so we'll we'll keep an eye on that as we go through, just to see how, if because I don't know, and that's why I'm saying this, I don't know how fast the turf course was playing against track records on saturday so it'll be interesting to do that as we go through the other turf races to check that juxtaposition and see whether or not this was probably a little bit uh a little bit slower of a buyer speed figure than i think they maybe should have gotten yeah, rob brings rob brings up the rail being out 66 feet made it might make it a little hard to grade which is true it's a makes things difficult a darn glass ceiling for the women man they just can't get uh the, the respect that they deserve warm heart gets the job done one race earlier than that, this is where my pick five fell apart. The Fred Hooper, or if you're watching live, they called it the Fred Hopper Stakes. Uh, props to you, buddy. Tumbarumba got up there at 8-1. A hard-fought battle with Castle Chaos, who was trying his hardest to steal that at 27-1. to But uh, the Louisiana bred Brian Lynch, Luis Saez were 50% winners coming into this, and they got one here. The top pick, baby. This was uh, eight to one. Also, when I gave out on my Vsin article, so I had a fifty dollars win bet on there on this one too at eight to one. So this was this was a very very happy Mike when Rumba <laughs> Rumba was able to hold off uh, Castle Chaos, who was absolutely flying uh, at the end of this one. Um, and I definitely sent Tumba Wumba and looked up to see if there were any tub thumping uh, memes to the group. And unfortunately, <laughs> there are no tub thumping gifts there on uh, on Apple Chat, so couldn't send that over. Uh, it just kind of played out really well for uh, Tumba Rumba. Hajazi was not able to make the lead. We talked about how that could be a problem, specifically with the speed in the two sitting right to the outside, and uh, it was a problem. I mean, that was that was the biggest issue for Hajazi is that Expressman went, cleared, and then forced Hajazi to go outside, and then Hajazi had to maneuver around the quitting Expressman and figure out what to do from there. And uh, he just used a little bit of too much, and all of a sudden – 
the uh, the the cavalry was coming, and and Tumba Rumba was the one who was able to benefit just sitting outside of that kind of pace duel and being able to get up to the lead and hold on. So one thing that I thought Flavin Pratt did very well in the Pegasus World Cup with National Treasure, and Aaron called it on the live stream. Uh, on the backstretch, he backed off just a little bit of hoist the gold and let the horse catch his breath and then have some enough left for that stretch run. They went 22 flat from the qu- from the quarter to the half. They sped up. They did the opposite of that on the backstretch. I feel like that, might, as much as anything, did Hajazi and was, was speeding up like that. But uh, like Curtis Manlow says, when Bob's secret stuff wears off in this stretch, it is noticeable because off the turn, Aaron and I were ready to call him home. And we went, oh, he's getting a little leg weary. Oh, shit. Oh, this is bad. <laughs> like, it just, he went from, from full to empty like that. A little leg weary is a <laughs> understatement. He was, I mean, he went, he went full stumble bunny at the eighth pole. He's just like, no, I'm just, I'm just going to finish, but I'm not going to do well here. Uh, just nothing left in the tank for Hijazi there. And, and, you know, you hate to see it. You just hate to see it. Um, <laughs> this was a fun race for me, but like I, like yeah. I was also completely wrong. I had Cyclone Mischief who finished last in this race in my pick five as well. So, you know, as long as you get the winner, that's the fun part about the pick fives. Uh, good rise by Saez as well. I thought Luis Saez did a great job sitting outside and just being like, okay, you guys go do your thing. And then I'm going to, I'm just going to get first run. I'm not going to worry about saving ground since uh, it's a one turn race. And I'm going to make sure that I'm able to get the lead. And then Again, lucky to hold off Castle Chaos, who was absolutely charging there at the end. Uh, a couple quick things that I want to touch on as well. We both had talked about what we were vastly against accretive, never involved. And uh, Doc's not here. He's busy curing cancer. Doc, I told you, stop playing Gilmore. This is a bad idea. Stop playing Gilmore. No, 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 no. It's not I a good out, idea. I found out why he keeps playing Gilmore. Oh, no. Why? Huge Gilmore Girls fan. Oh, now it all makes well, sense. Yeah, now he's off on his own. I'm not going <laughs> to sing the song. That's okay. Uh, race before that. Uh, uh, boy, I love this one, except for the fact that you know, I didn't get the six to one price on her. But Didia wins the Pegasus World Cup Philly and Mare Turf. Uh, surprisingly, almost stole this one. Ashin Murphy had a couple of great rides. He also rode a tone in the Pegasus World Cup Turf. Uh, almost steals this one, was surprisingly, but Didia. That class paid off, baby. She got the job done and, and gets the big win uh, going to Mount of 16th on the turf. Star Fortress, she didn't have a great trip, but uh, this is not a good spot for her. Just not a good effort from her, I should say. No, she like the trip was obviously a problem. Um, I am... I was higher on her coming into this race than you were. Um, I was I was four nine. I had Didia as a must use for me, but I did not have her on top like you did. And I, I like Star Fortress in here, and she just she was not the same horse as what we saw at Churchill Downs. You you mentioned that in the preview that you had concerns about her being able to to absolutely air not great horses over the Churchill Downs turf course, which is obviously a little funky. Um, I was surprised she was as far back as she was, and then she just seemed really, really uncomfortable. She had to check in the first turn. That wasn't great for her. So uh, this is one of those where I, I would stable her up, which sounds crazy because like <laughs> she was 3-1, to one, but I have a feeling she's going to be longer than 3-1 to one when she comes back. And I'm not saying you automatically play her back, but if you're sitting at 5-1 to one and she's back at Churchill, she's at Colonial, she's, like, she's at Aqueduct because Sherry DeVos sends all these different tracks – I would be very interested in this horse because I think that the, the Gulfstream turf course probably not made for her either. Um, did he go into the lead? What did you think of that? Well, I, she did like to be kind of more forwardly placed. I, I was surprised she was there, just like I think a lot of people were surprised that you know, Ruby Nell didn't go to the lead, and it was uh, almost a repeat of the the Matriarch two back for her at Del Mar, where Richard Mandela kind of instru- he did instruct the jockey Maldonado that day to rate her and he said maybe Maldonado rated her a little bit too much but he did what I had asked I felt like here that Ruby Nell could have gone to the lead and the instructions were again kind of sit off a little bit and and see what happens and with that in mind she ran a lot better rating than I thought that she would yeah she same I'm I think that was a mistake I thought she should have gone to the lead she didn't um so I'm surprised those were the instructions and it, it did look like she was intentionally being rated it didn't look like there there was some hold there there wasn't just the loose reins to go, go, go. So I, I think that definitely didn't hurt, help Ruby Nell. Um, can we quit Fluffy Socks yet? I am. <laughs> this was the, like, I got back on the train and I was like, this is why I'm off. I mean, I, I, was, I was out on Fluffy Socks in this race. I was shocked Fluffy Socks was taking as much. I'm, okay, let me rephrase that. 
I was happy Fluffy Socks was taking as much money as she was. Um, she was the favorite for the majority of the the walk up to the post parade, and then uh, Didia Didia goes off as the short favorite here. Fluffy Socks three and a half to one. Didia three point three to one. Oh man, um, I I just I, if this wasn't a Chad Brown trained horse, does she get bet every time? No, right? No, I mean, this, this is a Chad Brown's training this horse, so we're gonna bet Fluffy Socks. And I rads on it. I mean, you, you have to respect the connections, but at some point you got to stop. I mean, also, accretive is always I rad and Chad, and we've stopped. We I don't think we ever got on that horse. <laughs> also, who likes fluffy socks? <laughs> what does that even mean? Um, you, my, you, you, your feet don't fit in there. They slide all over the place. Like, why? Why would anyone want fluffy socks? I, listen, I'm with you. My wife likes them because she like gets cold when it's below 80 degrees. So you know, fluffy socks help keep her warm. But yeah, that's what no, slippers I, are for. Okay, thank yes. They, this horse should be named Slippers. It would probably run better. <laughs> Uh, well, one horse that did run very well for Irarities Jr. one race previous, kicking off the late pick five, Olivia Darling. She got the job done. She was a lot more forwardly placed in the grade two inside information than she had been in the sugar swirl. But I loved the fact that Irad kept the mount out of that race that she, I thought, ran the best race of any horse in there. And she got the job done at seven to one. That was a very nice price to kick off our pick five, Mike. This is the, like, yeah, Warm Heart was great at two to one, two point four to one, and and was an overlay. But that was a, a a mistake in betting mechanics. I have no clue why that was there. This is why you like bigger fields because this horse floats to seven to one, and it, it's the because there were ten horses was the reason this horse had floated up to this price, and uh, she dominated. I never looked like a loser once they hit the top of the turn uh, or middle of the turn, I should say. Took over the lead. Bluefield, who we both talked about liking, ends up running second. That was a heck of an exacto with a seven to one over a six to one. Able to run out the two favorites. They both finished third and fourth here. I thought Mary Quite Contrary ran okay, but just, uh, you know, never really in it. Uh, Intrepid Daydream, again, okay, but never really a threat to, to touch these top two. And, and really, Olivia Darling never looked like a loser in the stretch. Yeah, she looked incredible and, and a two-quarter length, easy two-and-a-quarter length uh, victory over Bluefield, who ran very well. Pratt and Safi Joseph had themselves some nice runners on the day. It, I agree with you, Mary Cook and Trey. She's third. That looks good. She was, you know, four-and-a-half lengths out, was never... She was passing a bunch of horses that really just weren't that good, like another Chad Brown Durr horse, Gerrymander, that's like, get out of here. We, just, I mean, don't. Stay in here because people kept bet, keep betting you, but you're never going to be on our tickets. Can we officially put a put a bow on Mary Quite Contrary as being a, a grade one horse? Well, this was a grade two race, so okay, grade two. Well, I, but she won this race last year, and then she ran she second, did, yeah, Robinson, which is a grade one behind Goodnight Olive in the race after that. Um, I, and it, ironically, I, I like switched trainers right before the Madison, and has never been near as good since then. Yeah, she went. Uh, she went to was it? I don't have her PPs up. Was it Suge that got her? I think Suge got her for the summer. Uh, for Keeneland and for Saratoga. And then when she went back to Florida, they didn't send her back to the same trainer. She went back to a different one. I was like, what? Okay. I I think that she's, what is she? She's five now. She might be hitting towards the end of her, her run. She had a really fantastic uh, three-year-old, four-year-old campaign, and, you know, getting the wins and the big efforts there. But the grade one ballerina, I thought, really kind of showed where she sits among the top sprinters. I just, yeah, You'll probably see her a few more times, but I wouldn't leave Gulfstream and go to Keeneland or Saratoga with her. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And yeah, dude, for second pick, almost top pick in this one. I was back and forth between Chepard Daydream and Olivia Darling. So we uh, we'd had this one. Uh, but unfortunately, National Treasure got us. Yeah. Yeah, we were both on Olivia Darling. Yeah, sorry, Pedlo. It's all right. Uh, one race previous to this, this was my strongest opinion over Warm Heart uh, on the entire card. Francesco Clemente from 10th to 1st with, like, n hardly any effort. This horse gearing up in the far turn the second time. Just beautiful. Irad Ortiz, Chad Brown, the 2-1 to one favorite. But it, this is almost a case not quite like Warm Heart. I'm like, how do we get 2-1 to one on Warm Heart? I'm like, we're never getting this price on Francesco Clemente again unless he goes to a big race. This was exactly the spot where he needed to be, that long distance, bunch of horses that kind of just, you know, dick around a lot. Easy win for him. I love this. 
Yeah, this was a this this was a race that was so it, phenomenal win for, for for Francesco Clemente. I, I to win on Gulfstream's turf course in this manner, I thought was really impressive. Uh, you don't generally win when you're second to last, and uh, like really last, I guess, because Value Engineering uh, was never really involved in this race. Uh, to do it in this manner, I thought was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, the scratches in this race changed the complexion of this quite a bit because when starting over and F5 specifically F5 gets in there and completely changes the pace setup, uh, I, I thought made a big difference. I, I jokingly tested, texted the group. I had a dream that stone age was going to go gate to wire before I saw the scratches. Um, and the scratches again, if there were no scratches, Stone Age may have got, tried to go gate to wire in this race because it was the other, other Chad Brown as well. Um, and then I got checked into room 3333 at Circa. And I'm like, oh, how can this not? How, this is just going to happen. That was the best part. Yeah, <laughs> it was your room uh, number when you checked in. And I, I texted you guys before I checked in, before I took off from Santa Barbara, I texted you guys that I had this dream. And then I checked in and it was 3333. Uh, and yeah, that didn't happen. So I am still not a soothsayer. I guess that's the... Uh, that's that's what we found out here. My dreams do not. Yeah, I, I'll no. be honest. I, I I was slightly worried when you texted the group your room number, and I was like, oh no, I don't <laughs> like that horse at all in that spot. But it, it ended up working out okay. Francesco Clemente gets the win. It's a mile and a half turf race where a lot of horses that probably just weren't invited to the Pegasus World Cup turf, so they showed up here. So we don't have too much more to talk about. Wait, race six. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Over under one. Man, I would have to juice the under. But over under one and a half wins at Saratoga. Well, one, over one and a half wins in New York for Fran Francesco Clemente. I'll say under because there's a what the the Belmont Gold Cup he could win, and there's another sword long dancer. turf race he could win. He's got the Sword Dancer at Saratoga. I mean, they have a long turf he race on each one of those days. Yeah, I'll give. I'll even give you the United Nations. I'll add the United Nations in, which is. A <laughs> Okay, yeah, he's a good horse for the United Nations, where everybody sends their B team. Um, yeah, okay, in that case, I'll say over. If we're going to throw in the United Nations, count that. All right, yeah, it was funny. Irad does not win on Sunday after this. We'll talk about the Rainbow Six on Sunday as well, because that was <laughs> wild how that one went. When I, I, I had two $20 horses in the Rainbow Six, and I went for three for six. I'm like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, race six was also a mile and a half on the turf. It was the La Prevoyant. This is for the older fillies and mares. And this is a race that uh, I was able to cash the exact on. Alpha Bella was my top pick, but it was something that I learned from John White that I this time actually listened to. Uh, feel free if you like the horse like that and you also like the long shots, do the backfield exact to put your the horse you like, the longer shot, and then pair the two favorites, the two short prices, and hope that one of them bounces out. And that's what happened here. Romagna Mia just never really looked that comfortable in the race. Our Cali Kim got up for second, but Alpha Bella, gate to wire, mile and a half on turf. That's not easy to do, especially a, a filly in Alpha Bella that hadn't looked like a mile and a half or, at all in her career. No, but she, uh, she sure did on this day. And the pace definitely had something to do with it. But if you look at those splits, I mean, look at how fast they came home for a mile and a half. 23.08, 23.7. I mean, that is just flying home at this type of distance. Um, this was this was a nice one. I was I was 1-4 in this race. So totally happy with this finish because the four obviously gets home at the bigger price at 8-1. to one. Uh, Good call by you to put Alpha Bella on top here. The speed was clearly her advantage. It was the question of whether or not she could hold that for the full mile and a half. Uh, the other race that had a 100 or triple digit buyer was actually race two on the car. It was a little surprising. The seven furlong maiden special weight, the race that famously last year on the Pegasus World Cup card produced Kentucky Derby winner Mage in his debut. Speak Easy gets the job done in his debut at eight to one. I think Mage was about the similar price there. Uh, gets a hundred buyer for this effort here. And then everybody's favorite horse that they wanted to play batten down the, the brother of full brother of Tacitus looked like Tacitus out there because he, you know, finished sixth in the race. What did you think about Speakeasy here? Great race. Thought this is a very, very talented sprinter. <laughs> I like. I don't. I don't see the. You talk about Mage. You know, you, you talk about Hidden Scroll, who's a horse that they then pointed toward the Florida Derby, the Fountain of Youth, all that jazz. Yeah. Not so sure this horse wants two turns. What did you think? I, I thought it was all right, but I thought uh, uh, Craig Milkowski, who does the t the figures for Timeform US, said 
it's almost impossible to make a, an accurate figure for that race. He said because other you have three horses that had raced, the other eight were all making their debut. There was no other comparable race on the card. There wasn't a seven furlong older male race. It was Fred Hooper. Fred Hopper was an eight furlong race. So yeah. I understand where that comes. I thought a hundred buyer was a bit overblown. I'm gonna throw it back to you. Why do you think he's a sprinter? Uh, the just more based on the pedigree with Harlan's holiday and fun on the bottom, not exactly the, the, I mean, constitution on the top can, can do pretty much anything, but you go, um, into the sibling PPs, only one other sibling out of fun. Who's the mayor here. And, and she wasn't, uh, she, th- that horse was four year old Philly, no interest in going anything over, like has not won yet. And had didn't, hasn't really fare well going two turns versus one turn. Um, yeah, I mean, like I'm diving more into the damn pedigree. Like it just doesn't the damn only one sprinting. Like I just, this, this to me on the damn side feels like you could have a little bit of a, a short issue. I realize how Hall, Holland saw they went long, but when you kind of dig more into the damn pedigree, it's, it feels more like a sprinter. Well, time will tell. I will say that this horse was going to be very popular in the Racing Dudes Triple Crown Fantasy League, because I'm sure there are multiple claims have been submitted for this horse. Speaking of that, Mike, I do have some very terrible news for us. Uh, I knew that Parchment Party, our first round pick, missed his latest work. Uh, He's been sent to the farm for 60 days. He had one work back, and he's off to the farm. So uh, we're in a race to be 10th, because Vinny's got 11th place locked up. So we're in a race to be 10th this year. Um... Oh, well, so, that's okay. So uh, what you're saying is we should claim speakeasy anyway, even though I don't like the distance? Uh, no, I'm saying we're screwed. Let's let's at least waste our points on the horse that we think can get two turns. That's what we should okay. do. <laughs> All right. Fair. I mean, we didn't have a first-round pick last year either. That's true. Yeah. At least this one worked once. <laughs> or two years prior to that. I mean, well, then we had the Mott Sprinter the year before that. Like, our first round, like, one year we crushed it. Outside of that, it's not been phenomenal. Also... We picked doppelganger out of, bad. Yeah, <laughs> a tenth out of eleven. I can't remember ninth, something like that. We were throwing darts by that point anyway. And we 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 were drafted last of eleven, yeah. So at least yeah. we have that to kind of go. All right, you did want to talk about the uh, the the rainbow pick six that uh, the mandatory pick six that uh, came out uh, for Sunday at Gulfstream Park. Uh, the jackpot pick six, one point eight million dollars. Oh boy. That's a oh lot. Boy. The pick five, 331,000 just about. The pick four, almost 38,500. So prices abound. What the hell happened at Gulfstream? Well, uh, Gulfstream went full Gulfstream. And I think that's the easiest way to put it. Only three winning tickets. So three tickets pays $1.8 million after takeout. A uh, $6.3 million pool. It's a mandatory payout day. So that's these are the type of days where you can get these type of things. Um, the lowest price winner was Tidal Forces, who won the first race at $7, at, uh, $7 so a 5 to 2 favorite. After that, I, I don't think there was a horse under $20. Like, it was just... Uh, I'm sorry, there was a $19 horse. Um, it, it was just wild after that, trying to come up with prices. Fly the W goes down. That obviously helped out prices. Yeah. Uh, and then Sweet Mimi closes it out at, at $52.20. The reason I wanted to bring this up, uh, we know one of the three tickets, and it was hit by someone who I believe is a, a trainer, part-time trainer at Gulfstream, but it was a $354 ticket, a $345 ticket that paid $1.8 million. So I, like, I at least want to mention that because it's not – you don't hear enough about, okay, it wasn't a syndicate ticket. It wasn't a monster group ticket that cost $10,000. Someone hit this on their own for $345. And, and when that happens, I think you got to at least call it out. It's why these dates, like we talk about that. Yes, these are, you have an advantage because of the, the carryover, right? But there's so much money bet into these now that, the, that it, it's about even as playing it on a normal day. If it were a normal pick six, don't play the rainbow pick six unless it's a mandatory payout. Uh, but if it were a normal pick six, then the payout fits here. But you have the opportunity to be able to get these type of scores without going absolutely bonkers because, again, you have these field sizes, and if you're able to string together some of these prices. And, and honestly, this is the only one who it was illogical to me. Every like The, the, the four back-to-back-to-back-to-back $20, $20 horses all made sense. I had two of them. The, this one was the one where you were like, okay, you had to find a way to get to this one. So, um Pretty cool that that at least one of the three tickets was just a regular dude who played for under 400 bucks. Just wasn't us. That's the only disappointing part. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No. 
nope, nope, nope. But hey, what can you do? Still, uh, still a fun weekend over at Gulfstream Park. They did a phenomenal job with the Pegasus. Full field Saturday, full field Sunday. Um, and it, this is one of the reasons why I like this this track. Like you get three different services to handicap to play three different ways, and you get full fields and you get prices. It's uh, it's one of the few tracks that I think is a very strong track track to still play. And like if you look at even the like I mentioned this, the pick three, which went uh, 10, 11, 12, ending in warm heart, that paid what was it seventy five dollars, and that was warm heart. And now my, of course, my computer's not working. Uh, that was Warmheart, Tumbarumba, and uh, Didia. Yep. That's not that hard to get to. Like, that, it's really not. And so it's, it's nice when you get those type of prices. Well, over at RacingDudes.com, we're already looking ahead to next week. Two Kentucky, two of the four Kentucky Derby prep races coming up this week have already drawn the Holy Bull Stakes with Fierceness. And if you look at who's facing Fierceness in that race, you go... Well, everybody's scared of fierceness. And then over at Oakland Park, nobody's scared of anybody, uh, which might be a mistake. Carbone looks pretty good. But the Southwest Stakes is already drawn. We have previews for those up at RacingDudes.com and over on the YouTube channel. And then the Risen Star Stakes, seven early probables, including our boy, that uh, possibly our only boy left, Honor Marie. Uh, but all seven probables for the Risen Star could be legit Kentucky Derby starters. So watch out for that race. And, uh, of course, check out the replay analysis for the sorry the Pegasus World Cup and the Pegasus World Cup turf from Aaron and I. Tomorrow is Tuesday. That means Trivia Tuesday is back. And we had Nick Seavers on to face Aaron Halterman, friend of the show, Nick Seavers. Uh, they did a triple threat. They did the Withers, the Robert B. Lewis, and the Holy Bull all within 11 questions. So tune in tomorrow. That should be live, I think, at 9 a.m. Uh, yeah, we're not doing Oakland for the late pick five. We're going back to Gulfstream Park. I was We're going say, back to Gulfstream. <laughs> it's Oakland and Gulfstream. Those are the two choices. Um, and it's there. I mean, Gulfstream looks kind of fun because it's all three-year-olds. Yeah, that's a crazy. Yeah, the, the Swale Stakes, uh, the, the Forward Gal Stakes, the Holy Bull, the Kitten's Joy, the Sweetest Chant. It's going to be great out there. Uh, I have some good news and some not-so-good news. We have a fantasy horse running this weekend. He's running in the Kitten's Joy Stakes on turf. <laughs> We're just we have won that race with a fantasy horse before. Just as his dream got us there at one point. But remember her well. No kidding. <laughs> Good call. Uh, we're also facing Jared's horse noted in that race. So just as dream. Yeah. Well, at least we, ours wasn't a turf horse when we drafted it. At least um, <laughs> you're not the first person who said that to me today. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, just as dream won at uh, Sam Houston as well. Stakes race. Yeah. Good horse, good horse, and I believe retired to be a stallion uh, in Florida. So hopefully that'll go well. Horses. We'd win every year, but unfortunately, it's drafting good horses in specific races. <laughs> Shadi says, "Holy trivia! It was a good show. Please check that out. Uh, it'll be live on the channel Tuesday morning, uh, or possibly afternoon. We're at, and of course, Mike and I'll be back on Thursday to cover the late pick five at Gulfstream Park. We're going to have another betting bible this weekend. It's going to cover all twelve races at Gulfstream Park, including the five Mike and I are covering, plus." The other three Kentucky Derby prep races. So picks from everybody for the Robert B. Lewis, the Southwest Stakes, and the Wither Stakes. Everybody's favorite uh, early February Kentucky Derby prep race up at Aqueduct. So make sure you tune in to see our show on Thursday. And, of course, stay tuned at RacingDudes.com for the Betting Bible, which uh, I want to give a shout-out to Aaron and Jared. Turn to profit. If you played the bankroll article for both of them, you turned a, a profit on both of those. Jared had a rough day. He only hit one bet, but his biggest opinion was warm heart. And he turned a profit. That's kind of the beauty of horse racing. You can be wrong eight times, but that ninth time, if you really believe in something and you somehow get two to one on Warm Heart, you take advantage of it and hammer. So lots yeah, of fun. Uh, Make sure you tune in next time. Just ask the guy who won $1.8 million. It only takes one. <laughs> it only takes one. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Curtis Keller. He's at SummerBomb18, number one, number eight. Corporate Overlords at Racing underscore Dudes. <sighs> Let's talk football real quick. I didn't want to. I was trying to get out of it, and then I realized I'm, I'm going to get roasted for it. So Chiefs won. I don't know how they were plus five. I thought they were going to win outright. That was nice. And then um, <clears throat> there was another game that happened, too. Yeah, I felt bad for you, man. Like, I, I, the Lions played really well out of the gate, able to jump all over over Kansas City. And um, a couple coaching decisions that probably weren't the best coaching decisions, a couple drops from Josh Reynolds. It's funny. I'm actually not even talking about going for it down three. I don't think that was the wrong decision. My issue was the first 
two fourth down opportunities they had. I guess the first one at the end of the first half, if you kick the field goal at the end of the first half, you have to kick the field goal to go back up 17 in the third quarter because it you you essentially zapped away 80% of the third quarter and you're right back where you are and the momentum in that building that wasn't really starting to really get out of hand yet gets out of hand after you you go for it you miss it the crowd starts going crazy San Francisco goes scores a touchdown that place is on fire they're only down 7 if you kick and go up 17 if you kick it deep it's fine. Like then, okay, you're back up 17. They now have to get down and figure out how to score. I, I, and you know what? If you had gone for it at the end of the first half, and you didn't get it, then they kick a field goal. You're down 11, and then you're supposed to go for it. And it's not like this big thing. And so it's to me, it was just, it was the mistake at the end of the first half. That it, the decision at the end of the first half had to correlate with the decision at the early third quarter, and those two different decisions were different. I didn't, I didn't think that made very much sense. But then, yeah, Reynolds was just. That was rough for you guys. I mean, his, his multiple drops. And then the IU catch, which really completely was the last piece of that momentum flip, right, where it really should have been an intercepted ball. It goes off the helmet of the Detroit Lions player right to IU. I mean, that was that was the moment you're like, uh-oh, this is happening. That, that is exactly the moment where I went, Oh, this isn't good. This is yep. this is how this is the old lions. My wife even said it. She said, "Oh, this is the old lions now. This is what happens." I'm like, "Oh, crap." Okay, yeah. That listen. As far as the going for it, a lot of the lions fans were, "You shouldn't go for that." When all year long they were praising Dan Campbell for the aggressiveness okay. and how they were the the uh, most successful team in the entire league on fourth down conversions. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. At least he didn't really change his tactics and. Except at yeah, the end of the it, Well, except then, yeah. <laughs> Which is why I'm like, what are we doing in the third quarter? <laughs> yeah. I completely oh. agree with the one in the fourth quarter. I thought you had, like, if you kick that field goal and San Francisco has two timeouts in five minutes, what do you think happens? You may the way that whole half had gone, it's good. Yeah, yeah, you know what's going to happen. <laughs> They're going to score. It's the question of how much time do you get back and you're down three or seven, right? So I get why you go for it there. But, the, yeah, the, the one at the end of the half, I'm like, if you're – or the, in the third quarter, if you don't go for it at the end of the half, you got to go back up 17. That's the whole reason you kicked the field goal at the end of the half, was to be up three scores. So if you have the opportunity again, you kick it again. I do. Uh, I want to p- highlight a tweet as well. Uh, you tweeted, uh, check on any Lions fans in your life. Hey, Mike, still haven't gotten a text from you, buddy. You didn't You didn't check on me. I got no check on any Lions fans in your life, huh? What happened there? Well, Nick Nick hit the, hit the Curtis Kellogg right underneath it. That was the check. You checked on me. <laughs> that was the check there. I, I didn't even. I saw that tweet long after the game, and I was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him shit for that tomorrow." <laughs> well, you know why I really didn't text you? Were you live? No, I have no idea who you're actually a fan of. <laughs> That's a good like, joke. You're like, I love the Rams. I'm a Rams fan, and then it's like, I'm a Lions fan, and like then you're wearing a New Jersey every week. And like, I know you're a Red Wings fan. I'll give you Red Wing fandom. Outside of that, you don't really have a favorite team. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Curtis Kellard. He's at some of them. 18 number one, number eight. Corporate Orwell at Racing underscore Dudes. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us for this show, for the live show. Uh, last Saturday, we'll be live again this coming Saturday for the Kentucky Derby preps. So tune in for that one. Until Thursday when we're back at Gulfstream, baby. I'm Magic. And I'm Mike. Go Chiefs! The Magic Mike Show, where you hear the experts speak. The Magic Mike Show, tune into the show every week. The Magic Mike Show, you can trust the show is the bomb because it's being brought to you by RacingDudes.com.